This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Stay tuned and visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org. 93 to 2000, and it was a time, in some ways there are a lot of similarities to what's going on right now. Uh, A lot of uh, unrest Uh, financially things were kind of in a tailspin there politically things were very unstable uh, especially like 92 93 Uh, Soviet Union had broken up recently and things were kind of getting settled and in a similar way today things are very unsettled we get regular emails and communications from friends folks that we knew as students who are now leading the ministry there in Ukraine things like uh, what do we do with our kids when war breaks out where would they be safe Uh, guys who are in their 30s who have small children who are thinking, gee, I I may be called up into war. So across the country, there is huge uh, anxiety. And one of the things that comes with anxiety is great openness to the gospel. I'm real excited to hear uh, just how you've come behind in providing materials. I know that the church has really rallied. They they pray regularly in Maidan Nizelyezhnosti. It's kind of the central square in Kiev. And then folks will come, and they're prepared. They share Christ with them, and folks are coming to Christ. It's a time when people are saying, God, if you're there, I need you. If, if I can know you personally, I would really like to check that out. If you can make a difference in my life, if you can change something either inside or around me, um, you have my interest. So this is a great time. So I just want to tell you that. Thank you for what you're doing in Ukraine. This is a really a key moment there. Thanks. One of the purposes of our church, the Nags Head Church, is that we want to reach the world, and that's one way we can do that in a small way. Without going, uh, we can give, and, and that's what we did. We bought Bibles for, um, for that, and, and we support um, Sergey also. For our guests, uh, you've already heard from John. Uh, John and Cindy Peterson are with us today. They, have, they are missionaries with CREW. Uh, you may know it, CREW is Campus Crusade for Christ, but uh, they have served in a lot of places in the world have been a part of our church's global outreach team, I think, since 1985. Is that right? And uh, they were just teenagers uh, then, and uh, not far from it. In fact, I think the first time Gail and I met John and Cindy was in 86, the following summer. Rachel, who was just up here singing, was a baby. She was uh, not even a year old back then. Uh, So they have been... um, Part of this church's outreach ministry all those years. They're our oldest missionaries that we uh, know that we support uh, here in in this congregation, and they've been great friends ever since. They, uh, I asked them some time ago if they would consider coming sometime and talking about uh, about the experience that they uh, went through a little over a year ago, year and a half ago, um, losing their son Ian. And because uh, I, I followed the story, Cindy, as you posted almost every day on Caring Bridge, and many of you did, and we watched and we listened and we prayed uh, for them. And uh, just there's so much that they, they experienced uh, that we need to learn from. And uh, because all of us at some time in our lives are going to go through one of those experiences when the rug gets pulled out from underneath of us. And we're going to wonder, are you there by my side? We're going we're gonna to ask God some tough questions as God asks us from tough questions. Is my faith, we sang, is it really without borders? Or have I put God in a box? 
um, they're going to share how they, what they learned and, and, and so forth. So I want you to welcome them as they come. Uh, as they speak, you might be uh, even lifting them up in prayer. John and Cindy, I don't know how you're going to tag team this. Which, yeah, here we go. All right. Well, we're excited to be here. And um, we're going to be a little unusual this morning. Usually John is the one up here and he's speaking, but um, he has deferred to me this morning to start with. And um, I wanted to start by telling you a little bit about last December. We had a week that was pretty important to our family. Um, we had my, our oldest son was getting, graduating from North Carolina State on a Wednesday, and my mom was getting married on Saturday. So the Saturday before, I decided, as all good women do, I decided to prepare for the events, you know, knowing that the pictures are coming up. So, you know, we have been in ministry a long time. This is my 29th year with Campus Crusader crew. And, uh, you know, you don't go into the ministry in order to make a lot of money. Uh, at least we did, and I don't know about Rick. But um, so, so this was Saturday, and um, I decided to color my hair. You know, I didn't go to get it done. I do it. $7.50 can get you this. So then I decide, okay, you know, I'm going to wax my eyebrows. Now, I don't know who ever thought about waxing eyebrows. It's about the stupidest thing that anybody ever came up with. But I decided to do it. So I'm upstairs in our bathroom, and um, there is this pot of wax. Okay, and this wax it takes about six months for it to come off your body. So the wax is hot, and I dip the stick in, and I smear it on my eyebrow, both sides. And um, if you've ever done this or had this done, I hope do not try this at home. I, I don't know anything about cosmetology, but you take these strips of cloth after you've put the wax on your eyebrow and you stick the strip of cloth on your eyebrow. Now, I don't know what possessed me to do this, but I was looking down as I put this strip of cloth on. And so then what you do is you yank the cloth off. So you've got the picture. I've got the, the hot wax on the strip of cloth glued to my head, looking down, all of a sudden I rip it off. And I'm still looking down, but I'm looking at the strip of cloth and I'm thinking, my, that has a lot of hair on it. <laughs> so I slowly raise my head and I look in the mirror and half of my eyebrow was gone. I mean half, I'm not joking. It was off of my body, and a slow scream started coming out of my mouth. Ah, you can't put that sucker back. You know, there's no gluing it on. Pictures for both things coming, and I think, what do I do? So then John comes up, sweet John, who is a kind man. And I look at him, and I was, I was angry. I wasn't angry at him, but he was there, so I did not handle my anger quite appropriately. Women, I know this has never happened to you. Don't do this at home either. So I look at him. I said, look at what I have done. I work at saving us money. I color my own hair. I wax my own eyebrow. And now I only have half an eyebrow. 
And he looked at me, and 29 years has taught that man many things. And he looked at me and said, I'm so sorry. You know, he couldn't try to fix it. Because life had happened. Something unexpected had popped up. And there was very little I could do to fix it. I did, just so you know, I did color it in. And nobody really noticed except when I would get up in the morning and forget to color it in and come down and sit at the table with half an eyebrow. (laughs) But life does happen. Sometimes unexpected things just really crash into our world. It blindsides us. It's the loss of half an eyebrow. And that's that's a little thing in comparison. You know, it's, it's infertility. It's the loss of a spouse. It's regrets that kind of materialize perhaps after a divorce or sexual trauma or abuse. Something that crashes in unexpectedly, we're not prepared for it, and we feel like our world is spinning wildly out of control. And I tell you, I get it. Um, I really do get it. And I'd like to tell you a little bit more of the story that we have been a part of over the past year and a half. Our son, Ian, was 21 years old. He was a senior at NC State. It was October, and you know we were excited about him finishing. He was actually going to finish in four years, and we were thrilled about that. Um, but for about two weeks, he kept saying, Mom, I don't feel well. And he, um, he was had four jobs. He was singing in an a cappella group. He was actually president of the group. And so I thought, you know, he's just tired. He's burning the candle at both ends. But he called me and he said, after about two weeks, he said, can I come home and, you know, eat dinner? And it's like he really needed to ask. So he came home and as soon as he walked in the door, I took one look at him and I thought, he's sick. And he laid on the couch, which was very unlike him. And I ran around cooking four different meals thinking, you know, he just needs to eat something, eat good food. And, but I told him, I said, in no uncertain terms, you will be a student health on Monday morning. And he did. He dutifully went. And on Tuesday, he called. And he said, you have to know him to, to really appreciate this. But he said, Mom, um, Student Health called, and they said my blood work came back, and this is the tone he's using. And they said that I might have a malignancy, and we have an appointment tomorrow at 11, and I need you and Dad to take me, but I have to go on into work right now. I'll see ya. Bye. That was Ian. Not a whole lot of details. So the next day, um, we picked him up, and going to uh, an oncology appointment, Um, is really unsettling, to say the least. And I know that some of you have experienced that. But I really was not worried, because in my mind I was thinking, stupid student health. What what do they know? You know, this is not going to be a big deal, but we walk into that office and and we're a little bit unsettled. John and I were both there, so they take us back to the doctor's office and pretty quickly she came in and she very quickly started saying that our son had cancer 
and I started hearing words like aggressive and cancer and his kidneys are failing. And I'm, you know, all of a sudden, our world is spinning. I was taking notes because I'm type A driven. We'll write everything down. But you can see where my notes just trailed off. I was so focused on our world has just been shattered. Life happened. The unexpected just happened. And I want to tell you, it rocked our world. I'm going to drink as I go along here. So before I knew what had happened, um, his kidneys were about to fail. And they escorted us back into this room. It was the infusion room. And there were bald people sitting there getting their infusion. And you talk about world spinning. And Ian had this um, blonde, curly hair. And he looked at me and he said, Mom, am I going to lose my hair? I said, you know, just as the emotion was welling up, I said, you might. You might. They'd handed us two booklets to read. They weren't sure initially what kind of cancer he had. And I couldn't focus on the page. That night, we went home, and we told the other kids. John took Emily, our youngest, off to ballet, and Ian was just getting more and more uncomfortable. And he said, I have to lay down. And that night, he began having trouble breathing. John was up with him most of the night because Ian just couldn't sleep. We went in the next morning to the emergency room, which is where they told us to go, and they said, he is so sick that we're going to have to transfer him by special ambulance to UNC. Within about three days, he, we had gone from a healthy kid to our son was in ICU on dialysis with the label of cancer. You want to talk about a world being rocked. And I, I have to tell you that as the story went on, he fought. He fought really well. And as I, I go into the word with you this morning, I'll tell more of the story. But five months after we began that battle with cancer, we lost our son. He slipped from our hands. He went straight into the arms of his Savior. And I'll tell you, it rocked my world. Three days later, our story gets, we always say we go big or go home in the Peterson family. And three days later, our oldest daughter, Ashley, was married. They had offered to postpone the wedding, but you know, here's the deal. We do not get to choose when we have joy and when we have sorrow, they're commingled. And there was never going to be a time that we would not, within her wedding, not miss our son. So as she held the picture of her brother with her hair being done, you know, I, I will confess that the tears would just well up. And John was still at home, um, he and my mom were there, to, you know, they had to come later. It takes forever to get hair and dress and makeup ready. 
and I called. We had forgotten something. And as soon as John answered the phone, I knew something was wrong. And I thought, well, what can be wrong? You know, we've, we've lost Ian. The other kids are here with me. And, and John said um, the water heater had failed and the basement was flooded. I knew my shower had been cold that morning. Um, but, you know, we were, we were in such survival mode. Um, but I thought, and it actually came out of my mouth, you know, what next? Locust? We've had death and destruction. Um, the basement is flooded. Um, but that was life happening. Life happens unexpectedly. In May, when graduation occurred, um, the university had their own initiative because he was kind of a big man on campus. They decided they wanted to award him his diploma posthumously. And our family went and they had us on the front row and when they called his name, I went up to receive his diploma. And I have to tell you that every person in that arena stood to their feet. And the reason I believe they did, they wanted to honor our son, but we were every parent's worst nightmare. We'd lost our kid. So life happens. I didn't get to shoot his senior pictures. Instead, I had to buy a burial plot for my son. I didn't get to have a first dance with him at a wedding. Instead, I had to pick out his clothes to bury him in. And if you don't think that we experience the depth of our grief, you're mistaken. I'd like to share this morning a few things that we learned as we walked through pain. And I share the story of kind of the extremes because it's in our extremes that we really can experience sometimes a little deeper taste of who God is. Would you pray with me before we start? Jesus, we need you. We need you in our joy, and we need you in our pain, and I pray this morning that you would teach us more about who you are in the midst of pain. In Jesus' name, amen. On the day that we found out Ian had cancer, I have to tell you that I was surprised. I would have never articulated this, but in my mind, I thought, you know, we're the good guys. We have been the missionaries, the hardcore missionaries. You know, we stood in line to buy bread. We went a month without sugar. We didn't have butter for several weeks. We were the good guys. I would have thought, and I did think, that I deserved a pass on cancer. Cancer happens to other people. I mean, you didn't serve overseas for seven years. You didn't have to have an escape route in case there was a, something that happened like is happening now. You know, I deserved a pass. Now, I knew better, but I felt that way. And I'm not alone. I think most of us are so surprised when pain crashes into our world. And we shouldn't be. You know, in James, it talks about, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Not if you encounter trials, it's when. Or Paul, 
you know, he had a thorn in his flesh, and he prayed three times that, that God would remove it, and he said he didn't. This morning, I'd like us to take a look at John 11. If you have your Bible, would you turn there with me for a few moments? John 11, verse 11. I think it's in here that I really um, found my way through some of my pain. Now, a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and his, his sister Martha, it was the Martha who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with his hair, with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sister sent word to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified by it. But when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not to end in death but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Mary and Martha could see the handwriting on the wall. Lazarus was sick. But it was no big deal, right? Because they were close to Jesus. They had seen him heal. They had watched the miracles. So it's a no-brainer. You send for Jesus to come. He loved them. They had an intimate relationship. But Jesus waited. When he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place that he was. Why? Why did he do that? Why didn't he just go to Bethany as soon as he heard that Lazarus was sick? Why did he let Lazarus get sick in the first place? Why did he wait? You know, the why question is not new to us. Jesus' friends, I'm sure we're asking the why question. The thing that we have to walk away from from this is that when the passage is so clear, it says Jesus loved them, and yet he permitted them to experience pain. So the first point is love permits pain. Love permits pain. When our daughter Ashley, our firstborn, um, you know, we took her in for vaccinations. Uh, the, the first time, John went with us. And this little baby, I mean, I love this child. You know, you treasure her. She was keeping us awake, but I would have laid down my life for that child. But as the nurse jabbed my child with a needle, she looked at me as if I had betrayed her. She burst into tears. I burst into tears. John didn't know who to, to comfort. But we let her experience a little bit of pain then to keep her from experiencing a whole lot of pain later and potentially death. Love permits pain. Jesus did allow Lazarus to die. He allowed Mary and Martha to watch their brother die, and he could have prevented it, but he didn't. God allows pain into our lives. The second piece of the story that we have to understand is that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were not the heroes of the story. You know, if I wrote a book about my life, I am not. 
it would be rather boring. Nobody would buy it. But if I did write it, I would be the center of the book. I would be the hero of the story. You know, leaping tall buildings at a single bound, some kind of superhero. But the reality is that we are in God's story. And he is the hero. And everything that comes through our life is about bringing honor and glory to him. We're not the hero. Well, let's go back to the story. In verse 4, but when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified. All glory and honor was going to him. Verse 11 This he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. And the disciples then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. They just didn't get it. They were pretty thick. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus said to them plainly, Guys, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. Martha hears that Jesus is coming, and she takes off to meet him. Mary doesn't move. Now, if you remember earlier in their relationship, you had Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to everything he was saying, and Martha was the one running around trying to to get things ready. She was doing what was culturally acceptable. She was going to feed the crowd that had come into her house. I think Martha gets a bad rap, quite honestly. She's the one that runs out to meet Jesus. Let's go to verse 21, because Martha gets this partially right. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? You know, he... He asked her straight up, you've seen me? You've followed me? Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. Martha and Mary knew Jesus as Savior. They, they knew that he was the Messiah come to save them. But in this moment, Jesus is revealing another piece of himself to her. He says, before you knew me as Savior, but now you will know me as the resurrection. 
I do not understand why God does it the way he does, but there is something about we understand God more fully in our pain. Now, when she had said this, verse 28, she went away to call Mary, her sister, saying secretly, the teacher has come and calling for you. And when she heard this, she got up quickly and came to him. Now, here's the deal. Mary was sitting at home with the mourners. These were professional mourners. They could weep and wail with the best of them. Honestly, I think I could do a good job. It was a cultural custom to hire mourners to come. And, and Mary was there. She had been close to Jesus. She was not wanting anything to do with him when he first came. But then she gets up when Martha calls her and she takes off. If you read this passage, it drips with emotion. Mary gets up and she runs and she falls down at Jesus' feet and said, my brother would not have been dead if you had come. She was angry. But there was something else about what was going on there. They have the mourners. Mary and Martha are together. The disciples have come. But the mourners are not probably the best people to have around you. They're not that authentic community who's going to encourage you to believe the best. They're just paid to cry. Now, when we were going through Ian's death, or the process of his illness, I'm a pretty high-capacity person. But there were nights that if our small group had not fed us, I could not have put a peanut butter and jelly sandwich together. We were exhausted. Ian was in and out of the hospital um, much more than he should have been. Just his particular case. And one of us was with him at all times. Um, Our small group came around us. We had people who would show up and scrub our toilets. I mean, how humiliating is that? That, you know, you just can't get to it. We had our boss at the time. He was off on a ministry trip. He flew in. It was when we were in ICU. The last 28 days of Ian's life he spent in ICU on a respirator. And um, our friend Rick got off the plane. He knows that we love unsweetened iced tea with extra lemon. He got a taxi, had them pull through Bojangles, get us iced tea and all the lemons he could carry, and he brought it to us. Our community came around us. That is why we have to be in authentic community. We have to be in small groups with one another. We have to assemble with one another, not so we can just sing precious promises, but when the rubber meets the road, we need one another. We need God's family. Well, the next piece I mentioned before, as Mary showed up, She fell at her knees, and she was ticked. Here's the reality. God can handle my anger. Mary was angry, and Jesus didn't rebuke her for it. He handled it. 
Why do we hide our anger from God? There was a night um, in ICU that um, Ian's numbers would drop at night and uh, his oxygen numbers and, and other different numbers and there was something going on at night and we couldn't quite figure out what it was. And so we kind of theorized that maybe he just needed stimulation and he seemed to respond to this one nurse who has a personality like mine. Um, and so I decided to stay to keep him stimulated. And um, Ashley and I, she was with me, this poor girl who was trying to plan a wedding from ICU waiting room. And so we sang and we danced and we looked like crazy people. I've got one arm and I'm singing and Ashley's got another arm and we're, we're doing anything we can to keep him stimulated and it was working. So about three o'clock in the morning, I said to her, sweetie, go home. You're, you're gonna get married here in a couple of weeks. Get a good night's sleep. I think we've made it. And that was at a point where we still had hope. And um, she left and I sat down and all of a sudden, about 20 minutes later, as I had drifted off, his numbers plummeted. The nurses, doctors came running in, <clears throat> excuse me, and, you know, I, I was angry. And I, I yelled, not, not with the doctors and nurses there, but I, I talked to God in no uncertain terms. I've done everything I can do. I've stimulated him. I've, I've prayed for him. I, if name it and claim it was really true, my son would be walking. And, but I let God know how I felt. Scripture exhorts us, be angry, but sin not. God is okay with my anger. It doesn't frighten him. In fact, I believe that as we're honest with God, it does two things. It it brings us into a deeper intimacy with him, but also um, it, it allows us to grieve well. If we pretend it doesn't matter, we don't grieve well. So when Jesus saw what was going on, we know the end of the story. Jesus weeps. I don't believe that Jesus wept because of Lazarus. He knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He, he knew that Martha and Mary were um, going to get their brother back, but he was firsthand experiencing, he saw the brokenness of the world. He saw the devastation of sin, and he wept. I'm going to finish up quickly here. They call, Jesus calls Lazarus out of the tomb. Lazarus had been wrapped and prepared with the spices. And to touch the tomb actually was countercultural. It made them ceremonially unclean. They would actually even paint the tombs white so that nobody would touch it. So all of a sudden, Jesus calls Mary and Martha and this crew to step in, remove the tomb. Out comes Lazarus, and he says, Take care of them. They had to get their hands dirty. And sometimes God calls us to get our hands dirty 
in the ministry. Many Jews that had come to Mary and Martha saw what had done in verse 45, and they believed. God calls us to live countercultural lives so that many others will believe. And much of what God does is countercultural. But you know, in Isaiah 55, we hear God say, My ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. He uses fire to purify. And we, we get so taken aback because we sing these songs. I want to go deeper. I want you to expand the borders of my faith. But when he leads us into those deeper waters, we feel like we're drowning. The Lord took our son. Many people have come to faith as a result. But I'm going to tell you honestly... Um, the bad missionary will say to you, I'd rather have my son back. For so many years, I said, I gave, I gave my life for the sake of the gospel. But when God called me to give my son, I wasn't quite so willing. Daily, for us, we're, we're really on the front end of grief. But I tell you, daily, we have to choose to give thanks. We have to choose to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Give thanks. God's will is so clear to us that even in my pain, I have to give thanks and I have to rejoice. And sometimes I get tired. I get tired of making the right choice. And that's where we need the body to come around us. Not in the, oh, honey, just give thanks in all things. God works all things together for good. If you had said that to me when our son was sick, I would have punched you in the face. Is it true? Yes. But was that what I needed to hear at that moment? No. I needed you to come around me and love me, as many of you did. We are still in process, and I know some of this comes across as very raw. And it is raw. I want John to come back up and kind of close us out here as he, as he finishes. There is one last piece, though, as he's coming. When God doesn't behave the way that we, and we think he ought to behave, we have two responses. One is we say, God, I didn't understand who you were. You've revealed yourself a little more to me now. So I change my view about you. I, I know you a little bit better. The other choice that we have to make, there are only two, is we pitch God. We say, you're not worthy of my life. You're not worthy of my son. But he is worthy. He is worthy. We must choose to walk with him. We must choose the healing that only he can bring. John? So just very briefly, just a moment, uh, I just wanted to add that for me, the thing that God has really brought home in the last couple of months is two key activities that relate to moving through grief. And Cindy mentioned them here. One is maintaining a thankful heart. I realized that when I'm resentful or bitter, and I've been in both places, 
that God is present, but I can't see him. God's working around me, but I can't recognize it. It's as if he's not there. And yet when I choose to give thanks, I find a real transformation. It's like the, the scales come off, and I see God showing up in my life. I see him working around me. So that's one thing I wanted to encourage you is when you encounter pain is to choose thankfulness. And it's like saying, God, thank you that you took my son. Thank you that, you, that I will not, you know, see grandchildren. That, you know, it, I don't like any of that. And that's not what I mean when I say thank you. When I, what I mean when I say thank you is, God, I, I trust you. And you're good. And you're God and I'm not. That, that's what the thanks is about. The other part that has really been transformational for me is to embrace God. You know, I, I feel like after knowing God for many years, after reading the Bible many times, after studying, you know, you feel like, I think I've got a pretty good picture here. But my picture didn't include, uh, my picture included that God could cause my son to become very, very ill. But it didn't really include that he would take my son. And so when he did that, it's like, whoa, I, I don't like you right now. Um, and I had a choice to make either to embrace God as he's now revealed himself. You know, we, we get to know him better and better over time. He shows us more and more of himself, and we have a choice, as Cindy pointed out. You can either stiff arm and say, I'm done. I'm, I'm going somewhere else. Or much like I think Peter said it after Jesus had given a really uh, difficult sermon, and he told people, you know, if you want to follow me, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Speaking figuratively, and people were not getting it. And Peter didn't get it. He says, are you going to leave too? And Peter said, where else is there to go? You're the one who has the words of eternal life. To embrace God as he reveals himself. So, those are the two key activities of moving through grief. I, I believe. Giving thanks and embracing God as he shows us who he is. Thanks. Would you bow your heads with me just for a moment? I can't imagine that there's not something that was said this morning that didn't speak to everyone's heart in this room. And uh, most of us would say, I've never been through anything like that, and God, I never want to. Don't allow it to happen to me. But, you know, we've heard um, it's not us, up to us to choose when to have joy and when to have sorrow. Cindy told us they're commingled. Some of you have been through some similar, perhaps, experiences, and many of us have not. But there may be something that you're going through right now, and you're saying, God, I don't know if I'm going to be able to handle this, whatever kind of stress it might be. It may be career-related, family-related, financial it could be that you've got someone in your family who you've just discovered is terminally ill. And you say, I, I need to talk, I need to pray, I need this authentic community that we heard about. And Nag said, church, if there's one thing we strive to be, it is authentic community. Whether it's as we gather for worship, but especially in our small groups, our connection groups. But if there's something that you need today to talk with somebody, if you just like to let us know, would you pray for me about this that I'm going through in my life? Take out a communication card before you leave your seat. 
And just on, put in the front, tell us who you are, and on the back, just say, here's what I, I need to talk to somebody about, or you can check off, I need to talk to a pastor, or you can write at the bottom, here's, here's what I'm going through, and, and I'd appreciate prayer, or I'd like to talk to somebody. And we'll respond to you, we, we really will. John and Cindy are gonna be lingering around um, after we're done, and I know it, they'd, they'd be more than happy to to pray with you, to talk to you, and, and, and I know they'd love to hear your encouragement that you've been praying for them and that you will as they still process um, this whole thing. And um, the, the great joy, and Cindy just mentioned it once, is that when, he, when Ian slipped from their arms, he slipped into uh, the arms of Jesus. And there's great comfort in that, that maybe you don't know this morning, and we'd love to talk with you about that as well, how you can know that you're ready to meet Christ. I'd like for us to stand together. We're going to have a prayer. Whenever we have uh, guests like the Petersons, even though they're not really guests, they're part of our, part of our congregation, they're part of our, our team here. But we want to be a blessing to them as well. They've traveled here from Raleigh, and uh, there's going to be a couple ushers at the doors with um, a couple offering bags. And if you'd like to just financially be a blessing to them, just drop something in there. If you need to write a check, you can make it to Nags Head Church, and we'll see that it gets to them. Uh, but, but we appreciate you guys coming. That was not easy. And Cindy told me, when I asked them to do this, they had not really done this before, but she told me when she came in, I just did this two weeks ago or so, and, and so uh, uh, it doesn't make it any easier, but um, would you just promise to love these folks and pray for them? Uh, let's go out with a prayer, shall we? Almighty God, um, that's who we believe you are. You are sovereign, and you are God and we are not. And we know that when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that you're there to lead us. Your rod and your staff comfort us. And we look forward to the day, Father, to, um, if we have not, to meeting Ian, seeing Ian, talking with Ian, um, thanking him, uh, Lord, for, for his testimony. Uh, thanking him for uh, us being able to learn from the pain that he went through, from the pain that John and Cindy and Stephen and Ashley and Emily and Maria, all of them endured. But Father, you, you teach us these things as Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 7, I believe you let us go through these things so that we can be a comfort to others who later will go through the same, and we don't take that for granted. So God, would you bless, would you meet our needs? Um, would, you, would you help us, Father, to uh, meditate on what we've heard today, work it into our hearts, make it real. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. God bless you. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church reaching people to discover life in Christ. Visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org.